continue now in this session with what I started off with in the last session, asking ourselves that question, why are we doing what we're doing in ministry, why we do what we do each day, the things that motivate and consume us, what, consume, what motivates us in our leadership and in our ministry. And so we're looking at this the philosophy of ministry, our true motivation for being in ministry. And I want to go back to that statement that I used right early in the last session when I said, only that which is done out of love for Jesus, in dependence upon and in the power of the Holy Spirit, in accordance with the Word of God, conceived in birth in the place of prayer and revelation, only that will last for eternity. Now, bear this in mind. Remember another one of those little things that I think has just become a cliche in our ranks is that statement that uh, the only way to disciple the nations is to plant New Testament churches, not churches, New Testament churches in every village, every town, every city, and every country of across the world, New Testament churches. Um, that's the only way we're going to do it, is to plant New Testament churches, churches that will are free to do what God wants them to do, to be what God wants them to be, to do it God's way. Only that will last for eternity. And only that will succeed in seeing the nations won or fulfilling the Great Commission. So we said that only that which is done out of love for Jesus, in dependence upon and in the power of the Holy Spirit, conceived in a place of prayer and revelation, will last for eternity. So I want to break this statement down a little today and look at the five parts and what they mean, and then move on to a few helpful priorities, I hope, uh, that that will be of benefit to, to, to all of us. In Zechariah 4, which we quoted in that last session, it says, it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Uh, we can have sincere flesh, earnest flesh, we can mean it, but no matter how sincere we are, no matter how earnest we are, and how much energy we put into it, if it's flesh, flesh gives birth to flesh and nothing else, according to Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 7. But spirit gives birth to spirit. So only that which is done out of love for Jesus, motivated by love for Jesus. So little that happens in the church today, it seems. We start out well, but all the, that comes our way and the bruises and the batterings and the bashes and the way we get uh, criticized and all the fault finding in our minister against us in our ministries, it has a bit, the wear and tear slowly but surely just takes away our love for Christ somehow or the other. And we find ourselves doing things simply because we don't know what else to do. Some of us couldn't get another job. If we could, we would get out, out of ministry. And we find so many of God's ministries, great men and women of God are Doing it now simply because it's no longer out of love for Jesus, just out of dogged commitment. Um, sometimes it's done for reward and recognition. And, and now, uh, if, if in leadership, you do get a kind of a, a, a little bit more of an exalted position. People respect ministry by and large. And uh, so much of that is motivated by selfish ambition, pride, fear, insecurity, self-promotion, competitiveness and sometimes just dogged commitment. So John 7, 18 says this, he who speaks on his own does it to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. Whatever happened to the heart 
of Jacob that we read of in Genesis 29 verse 14 onward where it says in verse 20 remember with he wants to marry uh, this, this daughter Rachel he gets he says I'll work for seven years he then gets deceived and given Leah the, the sister and then he has to work another seven years 14 years and in verse 20 it says but those 14 years seemed like only a few days to him why because of his love for her Rachel how much more our love for Jesus how much more our love for his church the saints his bride to come the only thing he's building on this planet I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail again. Jesus isn't building another thing. It's the church, not businesses, not empires. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, Christ's love compels us. In the fifth chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he says, We are Christ's ambassadors as if Christ were making his appeal through us. And his prayer in Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through to 11, he says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Only that which is done out of love for Jesus what's our motivation we know we started out well what's it now it can change secondly not only would that done that is done out of love for Jesus but that which is done in dependence depending upon and in the power of the Holy Spirit flesh gives birth to flesh see this was even true for Jesus which is an amazing thing to me Jesus was the word flesh God incarnate but in his manhood, Jesus needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's why he was able to quote what was said by, by the, the prophet. Um, I've gone blank for a moment. Um, Isaiah, he says in Luke 4, 4, 4, uh, 4 to 9, 14 to 19, that the spirit of the Lord has now come upon me, has anointed me. And then it was that he started his earthly ministry. Only then, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went around doing good and healing, etc. Jesus even told his disciples, yes, he had to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He had to be equipped by the Holy Spirit, anointed. But he told his disciples in Luke 24, verses 48 and 49. And then again in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, verse 4 and 5 verses 13 and 14 and chapter 2 verse 1 to 4 that they were to wait and tarry in Jerusalem until they be, received power from on high the promise of the father and then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that promise you shall receive power Acts chapter 1 verse 8 you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witness unto, unto me in Jerusalem Judea Samaria the uttermost parts of the earth but so often it seems to me it's not dependence upon the uh, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's so often it's our personalities, it's our personal gifts, our charisma, our skills, our programs, our passing fads, pragmatism, and not by His presence and by His power. 
And so we've got all these things like seeker-sensitive, cell churches, grace churches, gift churches, healing churches, emergent ministry churches, open churches, glory churches, all sorts of other emphases. Uh, and, and, and we just need to get back to where it's by God's power, the Holy Spirit. So I'd encourage you, if you would, just to read the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through to 8. Read it for yourself. We move on to the third little part of that, in accordance with the Word of God. In 2, two, two Second Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to just open my Bible to it quickly, two, 2 Timothy, because it's such an important scripture, if you'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, and we're going to read verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3. Paul says this, well, he's charges to, to Timothy here, but he says this, uh, I'm going to pick up in the 14th verse. But you, as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Because you know that from your, those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. The holy scriptures, they make you wise. The holy scriptures... And then he says this, all scripture is God-breathed, spirit-empowered, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped through the scriptures, empowered by the spirit of God. And so it's only as we work and do things in accordance with the Word of God that the Holy Spirit can empower it, and it's going to stand the tests of time. Every word that Scripture teaches, everything that the Holy Spirit reveals as important or imperative, will have a scriptural example. If you're emphasizing things that don't have scriptural examples clearly taught, it's more than likely not what God's highlighting or biblical truth. And so often, so much of what is overemphasized in practice is just Christian syncretism. It's the Word of God, yes, there's parts of that, plus tradition, relevancy, what people want or prefer, the kind of 2 Timothy 4.3 itching ear syndrome, I call it. But so little is the cross, the resurrection, the offense, sacrifice, cost, humility, integrity, discipline, the reality of trials, temptations, misunderstandings, etc. We've got to get back to it being in accordance with the Word of God. Teach it from Genesis to Revelation. Truth, it's all there for us to be the man of God, to be thoroughly equipped in ministry. And then I see the times just racing away. Birthed or conceived and birthed in the place of prayer and revelation. So many leaders, it seems, are more concerned with width, how many, how big do, instead of depth. Crowds can so often give a false appearance of success. Width, very little depth. Waiting upon God prayerfully for vision and strategies 
is costly and for some it becomes too costly just to sit before God with his word, wait upon him, let him bring revelation that results in transformation, that results in impartation when we preach or minister in any way. And it ends up with people participating in what God wants us to be doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you'll read those 15 verses, we don't have the time to do it. I want to highlight verse 10. It says, God has revealed to us these things, the things that I can't see, he hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, and hasn't even entered into the heart of man. God has revealed these things to us by his Spirit, who searches all things, even the deep things of God. He's made them known to us. For who alone can know all these things? It's just the Holy Spirit. And so I'm asking you in Jesus' name, seek intimacy with God. Spend time with Him. Sometimes alone, just, God, what are you wanting to do in my life? What do you want to change in my life? What do you want to say to me? What are you trying to help me to get to catch those mysteriums, those secret things? They're not hidden. Parables and secret things are not hidden so that we can't find them. They're hidden so that only the earnest seekers will actually find them. But God wants to reveal them to us by His Spirit. That's why He gives us the Holy Spirit. So birth, conceived and birthed in the place of prayer and revelation. So wait upon Him until He reveals these things to us. His will, His ways, His purposes, His plans and strategies. Even the smaller details, like He gave in the Old Testament. This color of things for the tabernacle and the temple, the size of them. Just small little details. God can give them all to you if you'll wait for upon Him. So read those for yourself in Exodus 25 and Acts chapter 7, verse 44 to 49. I want to give you a couple of psalms that I'm going to ask you to pray something like these psalms. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, verse 9. Uh, this is Psalm 25, verses 4, 5, verse 9, verses 12 to 15. Psalm 43, verse 3. And John 16, 13. See, the Holy Spirit, what I'm trying to say is the Holy Spirit's not going to fit into our programs and our patterns and our preferences. He's waiting for us to fit into His. He will not be dictated to. The wind blows where it pleases. He won't be boxed. He's not going to fit into what you want. He wants you to fit into what He wants. He wants me to fit into what He wants. And something like Jesus' mother said, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Do you remember at the wedding feast of Canaan, when they ran out of the, that wine, water turned into wine, supernatural transformation? Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Look at some of the things the Holy Spirit does in and with and through us. He who is the Spirit of truth, and truth, Spirit of truth, John 14, 17 tells us. He will guide you. John 16, 12, he will guide you into all truth. John 14, 25 says, He will teach you all things and remind you. John 16, 31, the little last part of that verse says, He will tell you what is yet to come. John 16, 14, He will bring glory to Jesus. He will take what is Jesus and make it known to us. The Holy Spirit is called the Paracletos, the Counselor. The one who comes and gives us information, counsels us as well as comforts. And cares for us. John 16, 7. I'm looking at all these things here and saying, well, we've got to move on.
so we've looked at those things that he wants us to do only that which is done out of love for jesus in dependence upon in the power of the holy spirit in accordance with the word of god birthed conceived in the prayer place of prayer and and, and revelation only that will last for eternity i'm going to give you these few points here and hope i can pick up because in order for all this to happen that we're talking about and what we were talking about in the last session we, we're needing to see that our church whatever it is if it's a community church it needs to change and become a base church if it's a city church it needs to change and become a base church what i mean a base church to go into the nations to reach the nations to fulfill the great commission not in nowhere in the bible does it say go into your town and and, and make disciples of your your people in your town or your country or your suburb it's the nations my house shall be a prayer a house of prayer for all nations go into all the world and make disciples of all nations it's nations that god wants so we need to develop bases in acts chapter 13 verses 1 3 to 3 and Acts chapter 14, verse 21 to 28, we'll see what a base church is. Jerusalem was the base, but Jerusalem ceased going. And those that the disciples in Acts chapter 6, they were persecuted and they went and the, the, the apostles, the sent ones, stayed back in Jerusalem. Slowly but surely, the base moves from Jerusalem and goes to, to Antioch. And so God wants us to keep doing what he called us to do so we remain based churches so i'm going to give you these book of acts quick things that i see coming out of the book of acts very quickly and i hope i can come back in the next session and break these down a little more the seven characteristics of as the basic minimum for being a base church one the base church reflects new testament kingdom of god values and lifestyle it reflects new testament kingdom of god where christ is king were we fulfilling what the New Testament tells us to do? It, it reflects New Testament kingdom of God values and lifestyle. Secondly, a base church exists for the sake of others, not for itself, for others, fulfilling the Great Commission. Thirdly, a base church can sustain growth, maturity and effectiveness even when the visionary elder is away for sustained periods. It doesn't all fall apart because he's not there. He hasn't got to stay home to keep the finances coming in and the people attending. A base church can sustain the growth, the maturity and effectiveness, even when the visionary elder is away for sustained periods. Fourthly, a base church is a voice for truth. It's not just an echo of, its, of the culture that we're living in. So many churches are doing everything that the world is doing in order to try and attract people into the churches, wondering why those churches are not actually winning the world for Christ the way they should. It's a, it's a voice for truth. The Bible, the Spirit of God, operating effectively. He's the Spirit of truth. Fifthly, a, a base church is consistently producing and commissioning new leaders and new church planters. It's consistently producing and commissioning new leaders and church planters. Sixthly, a base church plants new churches while building up and maturing local church. It plants new churches while building up and maturing the local church. 
And a base church, and this is so important, is where God and God alone gets the glory. Where people talk more about Jesus than the preacher, the musicians, the program, or anything else. Where they love Christ, no matter who's preaching. Where God alone gets the glory. And Father, that's what we want. For you to make us base churches that reach out and do what Christ came to do, but where you and you alone get all the glory, I'm asking you to do that for me. Keep on doing it. And for all of us and the churches we represent who hear this message now by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we want to do it out of sheer love for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.